Well, good morning to you, my naturally untanned brothers and sisters. I'm grateful to God to have the opportunity to come and share with the body of Christ of which we are one. Am I right? All of us were made in the image of God, and so uh, none of us are more than the rest of us, and none of us are less than the rest of us if we are truly one in Christ. Amen? Um, I want to start by having a family discussion. Is, is that okay? As I think about the awesome worship that Michael and Hannah led, I'm still caught up in the moment, if you will. I'm still basking in the words and in the glory of God to whom we sang our praise. And so as I, as I think about that, right, just some of the words, my heart needs a surgeon and my soul needs a friend. As we think about how the world isolates us and tries to put us in separate categories, right? But God said, no, no, no. I, I made you all one. And then they sang, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, how I've tried you over and over. But I got to tell you, if you haven't tried Jesus just in the good times and you haven't tried him in the bad times, you really don't know how good Jesus is. He's just not a good Jesus in good times. He's good when times are bad. He's good even when things are not conducive to the way you would want them to be. Am I right? So as we gather today on Father's Day, uh, first of all, let us say happy Father's Day to our Heavenly Father. Even though we're born of a different mother, we all have the same father. And since we all have the same father, let's just begin for a moment, if you will, by having a family discussion. Is, is that all right with you? And so as we think about the elephant in the room, we, we want to look at some things from the way that God desires us to look at them. We want to be biblical in our worldview and how we think about different things, right? You do know that there is only one race. Do you know what race that is? Human. I can't hear you. Human. The human race, right? All of us were born from Adam and Eve. Now, some of us, it was seen that maybe God loves some of us more than others. But I want to assure you that that's not true. Just because God gave me a natural tan doesn't mean he loves me any any, I mean, he loves you less, any, any loves you less than he loves me. The truth of the matter is all of us are one color. <laughs> There's only one color, right? Now, the reason that we seem to have different hues is because some of us have a greater amount of melanin in our skin, which turns our skin dark. But don't be jealous. The truth of the matter is you can darken your skin, which often you do in the summer, right? You go, have, you have to go stand or lay or bask in the sun in order to get your color to come out. 
But the truth of the matter is we are all of one color. And it's foolish to divide ourselves based on the hue of our skin. Isn't that foolish? Because all of us were made in the Imago Dei. Do you know what that is? The image of God. Every one of us. And God wanted a bouquet of colors in his creation. Notice the flowers. <laughs> notice the rainbow, the sky. Notice, notice different colors of things that God wanted. And so God being a lover of colors, he created us with different hues. But guess what? We all have the same spirit. We are all worth everything to God because Jesus came and died on the cross and he said, for God so loved the black people. Is that what he said? For God so loved the white people. Is that what he said? For God so loved the cosmos, the world, that he gave his only begotten son. That settles it. Black lives do matter. White lives do matter. But unless all lives matter equally, no lives matter at all. Am I right? That is the truth of the matter. And so because we are God's children and because of our heritage, our ancestry, our lineage, right? Be us black, white, brown, yellow, whatever. There has been some pain in the past that has yet to be dealt with as a nation, i.e. a church. But the truth of the matter is that our ancestors have offended one another. And it's not because we really don't want to say anything, but it's a painful conversation to have if we dredge up the past and begin to talk about the awful things that happened in slavery. For that matter, the awful things that happened to the American Indians when, when the settlers came and took over their country, right? Those things are very painful. But for some reason, we feel like if we just sweep it under the rug, if we just forgive each other and walk away from the conversation, things will get better. But have you found that to be true? No, let me tell you why. Because if you bury things that you refuse to deal with, when something happens that looks remotely like what happened in the past, all of the pain, all of the anger, all of the emotion rushes back to the forefront and then there erupts some catastrophic things in society like we have today. Am I right? And so as we think about well, how should we enter into those conversations? What should be said about the things that I didn't do, but my ancestors did? It wasn't done to me, 
It wasn't done by me, but it was done to your ancestors. And we need to find a way to have harsh, real conversations about what happened so that I can see how you feel, so that you can see how I feel. I can see how those things that were passed down to you affected you, and you can see how those things that were passed down to me affected me. In Oklahoma, there was a Caucasian family and a black family, and one of them killed the other of them. And both families sided with their ancestry in declaring that it was right for him to be murdered. No, it was wrong for him to be murdered. And for generations, they never came to reconciliation about what really happened. But as God would have it, the white daughter, granddaughter of the man that murdered the black man married the black grandson of the man that was murdered. And people on each side of the family would say, isn't that the grandson of the man that murdered my grandfather? How can you marry that person? Then on the other side of the family, isn't that the granddaughter? How can you marry that person? And it wasn't because they ignored the issue, but it wasn't done by them, so they had no words to be able to talk about what really happened. Where do I begin the conversation? How do I say I'm sorry for something that I didn't do that my grandfather done, but I'm aware that you know I'm a part of that family? How do I say to you I forgive you for what your grandfather done to my family, even though you're not the one who did it, I need to offer you forgiveness? Well, that story is the story of the American story written large. And as a people, we're going to have to have some hard conversations about what happened in the past. It's going to be painful. We're going to have to look back into the history and see that our ancestors had a hatred for one another. That in the name of industry, white slave owners lynched, beat, oppressed, massacred black slaves because of the sin that abides in man's heart. And because of the treatment of the white slaves, the African-American people, the black peoples began to hate whites. But nobody really wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about black history and what happened in the name 
of racism, elitism, if you will. My wife, her great-grandfather, I believe, was walking down the street in downtown Dallas. There was a white lady on the same side or the opposite side, I can't remember. And someone accused him of looking at her, not touching her, not assaulting her. This was in the early 19s or late 1800s, I can't remember. And a mob took him, lynched him. You know where the clock is in downtown by the court building? They lynched him from that building. That's how close it is to black people when we see things happen that are painful And guess what? Nobody was convicted for murdering that black man. Why? Because black lives didn't matter at that time. They've always mattered to God, but they haven't always mattered to other people. And so when you see the outcry that black lives matter, well, that's only one half of the truth. All lives matter. In the words of Dr. Martin Luther King, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So until black lives matter, white lives don't matter. Unless white lives matter, black lives don't matter. Unless brown lives matter, white and black lives don't matter. All lives matter equally. And we've got to move beyond seeing color and we've got to look at the content of each other's character. It's painful. When you see black people looting and burning, well, I understand peaceful protesting, but why the looting and the burning? Well, let let, let me inform you. Are you familiar with Black Wall Street? Do you know what that is? That was a black-owned industrial community in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the Greenwood edition that was built, they had attorneys, they had industry, they had clubs, they had shopping centers, they had all of these things that they had built in community with themselves apart from white community because they said you can't shop at our stores. So they took their resources, built an entire community. And somewhere in Tulsa, a white woman was in an elevator with a black man and she accused him of assaulting her. And rather, if it was true, than going after the man, they went to where he lived and they lynched, they burned down the entire community, they dropped turpentine bombs on the city, they burned every house and every building in downtown Tulsa. And then when you say, well, why do they loot and burn their own places? Because they don't, blacks feel like they don't own anything. So they're really not burning their own cities. Guess who owns the property that they live on? White people. So they're burning down what, I'm not saying it's right, I'm just telling you the history so that you understand. 
I disagree with a lot of things that's happening, but I'm just telling you so that you have a context of what you're looking at. We don't own the land anyway. We don't own the buildings anyway. When they burned our stuff, nobody said one thing. But it's kind of funny, when we loot and burn their stuff, everybody gets upset. So that's what you're seeing. Is it right? No. But violence is the inability of a mind to express itself. And so they're acting in violence. Martin Luther King said, nonviolent, nonviolent, we shall overcome. But then you have the other side, Malcolm X, who said, by any means necessary. And so what you have is two different parties who ascribe to peaceful protest nonviolence. And then you have the other side saying they ain't listening by any means necessary. So now you have been educated. You understand why some of them are doing certain things. And then you have Antifa in the mix of that that are inciting all of these things. But the truth of the matter is, as painful as it is to have those conversations, white people have reached out to black America. My white friends have said, hey, how are you doing? Because they feel the pain, they see the injustice and they've reached out to me. But then I thought about it. Well, who's reaching out to you? Has anybody asked you, my naturally untanned family, how are you doing? Because you're hurting as well. When you think about the atrocities that were committed against another people just like you but of a different hue and by your ancestors, it grieves you to think, I can't believe my ancestors, my great-grandfather would do such a thing. Am I right? It's hard to look at your family because you love them and see that they may have been guilty of committing some of these crimes. Isn't it? How does that make you feel? So I know some of you want to do something in this time, but you just don't know what to do. That's going to have to be worked out over several long conversations about what that means for us to walk together in unity and reconciliation, real reconciliation, not tolerance where you choose to go to a white church and I go to a black church and every now and again, we kind of check in on each other. That's tolerance. Reconciliation, Jesus said they are all one. There is no, there is no other race except this race. You do know that God only has two, two divisions, one category, two divisions, sons of God, sons of Satan. That's all there is. And so whether you are the offender or you the, or you the offendee, whether you're the offender or the offended, it's always your move. Always your move. You need to go to someone that you know in church. Don't, don't try this in the streets, okay? Please, not yet, unless God tells you to. But I'm saying in church, we need to go to one another and say, hey, I forgive you for what your ancestors did to mine, and would you forgive me for what my ancestors did to you? As a Christian, you always have the first move. 
whether you did it or not. So in this text that we're looking at today, Philippians chapter 2, Paul shows us what authentic unity looks like. Let's look at it. Philippians chapter 2, are you there? Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, when I read, you stop. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any, tell me, comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the what, tell me, spirit, if any tenderness and what, compassion, then make my joy what? Make my joy complete. How? How? How do we do that, Paul? By what? By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in what? Tell me. Humility. Keep going. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own what? But what? But what? To the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as whom? Christ Jesus. Let me read this to you in the message, Eugene's meters, Eugene Peterson's The Message paraphrase. It reads, if you have gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand to others. How was that? Convicting, right? So Paul shares with us what authentic community looks like in diverse, authentic unity looks like in diverse community. And he starts this conversation by raising four questions. Notice verse one, he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. So here's what Paul says. Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, then you ought to be what Christ has called you to be. Because Christ united with you, you ought to unite with your brothers and sisters. We have encouragement because when we were yet sinners, Christ died. He came and he lifted us up from a, a, a damnable hell and raised us up with him in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So how can we as the family of Christ leave others who are like us behind? So here's what he says, actually. He says, he says if, but it's really in the term since. It's kind of like you would say to your children, if you're going to be a part of this family, you will not 
behave like that. Am I right? Does that mean that because this child doesn't do everything you ask them to do, you're going to kick them out of the family? Is that what it means? Huh, dad? <laughs> Sometimes, right? <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, Paul is saying, since you are a part of God's family and the encouragement that came to you when Christ united with you, you ought to use that same encouragement to unite with other brothers and sisters that don't look exactly like you. Are you with me? And so he, he, asks us, he asks a second question. If you have any comfort from his love, has the love of Christ comforted you? The Bible says in that Christ died in that while we were when? Tell me, tell me. Yet sinners. In other words, when we were unlovely, God chose to love us anyway. Doesn't that give you comfort? And so Christ is calling us to love others, even though our preference may not be to love them. But I got to tell you, obedience is doing what God says when you hear it until your flesh agrees to do it. Not waiting for your flesh to agree and then do it. It's obeying it and then waiting for your flesh to come in line. Am I right? And so it may be hard to have that conversation. It may be hard to reach across the aisle and say to the brother or sister that doesn't look exactly like you, hey, I've had some things taught to me that are not necessarily true about your race. It's been generalized about all, but I know that's not true. And I want an authentic, real relationship with you. See, that, that, that's offering comfort where you have already been comforted in Christ. Because isn't that what Christ done for you? And so Paul says, uh, in raising these questions about authentic unity, he says, if there is any tenderness and compassion, he says, do we not have any affection and mercy? There is affection that comes from loving Jesus and is demonstrated in the way that we treat others, not that look like us, but those who don't necessarily look like, agree, and think like us. See, there is no affection in you treating your family, right? I mean, that's Everybody does that in some dysfunctional way, right? But the real test of your affection and how the gospel has worked itself out in your heart is how you treat others that don't look like you. It's when you see someone who's not exactly your shade, do you go, well, I'm really not sure I want to approach them or talk to them. We all have certain idiosyncrasies or defenses, am I right? But in the church of God, in God's house, should we look like the world or should they be looking to us so that they can learn what we do? It should be different in God's house, shouldn't it? So Paul says, since you are Christ, shouldn't you behave differently than the rest of the world? Why does the church look like the rest of the world in their behavior, how we treat one another. You do know that the church is the most segregated place on Sunday morning. Every day of the week, everybody else is united in 
something, working or whatever, sports. But on church on Sunday morning, in every city, you can go to a church, you can find a all-white church, all-black church. But all-white, all the time, can be boring. Am I right? All-black, all the time, can be boring. Am I right? And it teaches our children not to look at others as equal. So until we do something different, we're going to keep getting the same results. Uh, a preacher friend of mine went to an all-black uh, worship experience, church worship experience, and he came back saying, man, that was the most awesome worship experience I have ever had. And in a moment of open conversation, but insensitivity, he said, I'm not sure I would want to do that every Sunday. And I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, that's what me and my family do. We left an all-black congregation to be a part of a mixed, what we wanted to make a mixed congregation. We wanted to be a bridge, a catalyst, so that people would see what the church is supposed to look like. And so that grieved my heart for, for him to say that. I'm saying, well, I do this every Sunday. I don't get to hear the music that I'm used to hearing. I don't get to hear the, the preaching that I'm used to hearing, the powerful proclamation of black preachers. But I also love hearing the, the um, exposition and enlightenment of the white preachers. We're better together than we are apart. Am I right? You guys have... Uh, different worship leaders here, some of them white, Hannah and Michael, but then you have uh, Launchy Boyd, right? And I got caught up in worship with Launchy, and I got caught up in worshiping here with the untanned brothers and sisters that we have. So it doesn't matter. What matters is our hearts. Where are we as it relates to that? <laughs> so here's what he says. Look at verse 2. Uh, first, in verse 1, Paul uh, raises some questions concerning authentic unity. And then in verse 2, he gives a command to practice authentic unity. What does he say? He says, then make my joy complete. He says, since you are Christ, then make my joy complete. Make God's heart happy. How? By being all the same color? Is that what he says? By being what? Tell me, tell me. Like-kinded? Or like-minded? Like-minded. In other words, have the same mind Christ has towards you. You have the same mind that Christ has towards you. You have that same mind toward others that don't necessarily look, think, act, and have the same culture that you have. You ever thought about that? Do I respond to people that don't look like me the same way I respond to people who do? That's a good question, isn't it? He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. And then he says, make my joy complete by having the same, what? Tell me. Love. Now, do you love me the same way you would your birth brother or birth sister? Well, you should. That's what God calls us to. I should love you the same way I love my birth family. You know why? Because God says we're all what? 
one in Christ. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. There is no black. There is no white. There is no brown. There is no yellow. He says you're all one family. And if one of us can't breathe, none of us can breathe. If one part of the body suffers, then the rest of the body suffers. Am I right? So the love that I have for you should supersede the love that I have for the preservation of myself because Christ calls me to love you like I love myself. Okay, uh, dads, let me give you an example. You would lay down your life for your wife and for your children. You would, you would opt to endanger yourself in order to preserve them. Am I right? Without even thinking. You're not going to let anybody hurt your wife or your children. But when you see injustice being done to someone of a different ethnicity, do you have that same response, that same outcry, that same lack of self-preservation in order to intervene to help someone else? If not, why not? That's what God calls us to. I watched the documentary of the riots in the 80s, I believe it was, and these African-Americans jerked a white guy who was driving a 18-wheeler out of the truck. Y'all remember seeing that back in the day? And they punched him, they beat him, they kicked him, they stepped on him. And then it was a guy sitting at home watching TV, an African-American man. And he said, I felt God say to me, go save that man. I don't know how far he was away. He got his mom. He jumped in the car. He drives to the scene and people are surrounding him, black people. He grabs this white man, puts him in the car, drives him to the emergency room. And people were angry that this black man would save this white man. But I'm here to tell you the only thing that evil needs to succeed is for good men, good people to do nothing. Whenever those four cops held down George Floyd and he said, I can't breathe, if one of them had just stood up and said, hey, that's enough, let him up, he can't breathe. Just one. Then maybe the others would have had the courage to do the same. And that would have changed, made a difference in the world. Am I right? So Paul raises questions concerning authentic unity. And then Paul talks about the attitudes that affect authentic unity. Look at verse 3. He says, do what? Tell me. Verse 3, what does it say? do nothing. In other words, here's what Paul is saying. He gives us the negative side before he gives us the positive side. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is kicking others down and vain conceit is lifting yourself up. He says, don't do, in, other, in order for you to understand what you must do, sometimes you need to understand what you should not do. 
And so Paul gives us that concept. He said, attitudes that affect authentic unity is do nothing out of selfish ambition. He said, that doesn't create unity, that destroys unity. So when people cry about, hey, this life matters, in exclusion to other lives, you're really saying your life doesn't matter because my life matters most. But that's not true, right? The truth of the matter is that every life must matter equally in order for us to have what we're trying to achieve in the society doesn't know how to fix the racial problem. Only the church can do that. They're good at pounding out the problem, but do you notice they have no solution? But Jesus settled that 2,000 years ago at the foot of the cross, didn't he? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever is black could be saved. Whosoever is white could be saved. No, no. Whosoever believeth in him can be saved. So we're all one. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, knocking others down or vain conceit, setting yourself, but rather in humility, value others. How? How? Tell me. Tell me. Above what? Yourself. That's how authentic unity is accomplished. Real unity takes other people and puts them above myself. Do you remember in October of 2019 when Amber Geiger was in court and on trial for the murder of Botham John? Do you remember what happened during the sentencing phase? Whenever they gave Amber Geiger her sentence, Brant John asked the judge, can I give her a hug? He leaves the place of his pain. He goes over to Amber Geiger and he hugs her and says, I forgive you without her asking him to forgive her. And there was an outcry throughout the world. Am I right? The judge gave Amber her Bible. And the people in society said he should not forgive her and the judge shouldn't have given her a Bible. They wanted to hold on to the hatred, to the unforgiveness, the bitterness that was caused because this white lady killed this white man. But this young man got up by God's spirit, walked over to her and asked and told her, I forgive you. Until we do that, in the church, have those hard conversations. Sons and daughters of slave owners go to white people and say, hey, I forgive you. I know you didn't do it. I realize it was your ancestors, but I want you to know I don't hold you guilty or responsible. I forgive you for what happened, what your ancestors did. And then you, 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 my naturally untanned brothers, go to black people and say, hey, I realize it wasn't me. I don't feel the same way they felt. I'm embarrassed, ashamed, and deeply pained by what happened, what my ancestors did to your ancestors. Would you forgive me? 
That's the only way we're going to move past this racial problem. We're going to have to do it the way the Bible says. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt our hearts to have those hard conversations, to think about some of your ancestors and how they treated other human beings. That's going to be a painful process, isn't it? But we can't ignore it. If we're going to move past it, we've got to deal with it. Notice he says, attitudes that affect authentic community, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of what? Others. Let us look in order to lift up, look to others' interests in order to lift them up. Until we all understand what it means to walk in each other's shoes, to feel the pain and the prejudice that was passed down from your ancestors to you, the pain and the prejudice that was passed down from my ancestors to me, until we come to a table and we talk about those things, we deal with them in a very real way. We cry together, we walk together, we sit together, and we understand how has this hurt you and your family. I don't understand what it means to have white privilege. I don't understand why it is that you have to be two times or three times better than, than someone white to get the job or the position. I don't understand the glass ceiling because you're a person of different color. Until you walk in their shoes and you ask those hard questions and you deal with those painful processes, we can't come to reconciliation and unity because we don't understand each other. God didn't bring us to America to isolate us. He brought us to America to redeem us and to redeem the story and the greatness of each of our ethnic identities to make America better. We're better together than we are apart. So can we as a people, black, white, brown, everything in between, can we as a people as a church in Burleson today, come to the altar of God and say, God, it wasn't me, but I do have some residual effects of what my ancestors done. I do have some residual effects of what was done to my ancestors. I'm angered by what I see on TV. I was at work and there was a young lady that said when she saw um, George Floyd being choked. I just want to punch white people in the face. And I said, hey, 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 wait a minute. All white people don't feel the way that that man felt. It would be a shame for, we don't like it when they say, well, all black people do fill in the blank. Would you stand with me today? Would you come to the altar if you will? Can we repent together, cry out to God for reconciliation of our race and our love? I'm not a black Christian. I'm a Christian who happens to be black. You're not a white Christian. You're a Christian who happens to be white. But we're all in the same family. Make no mistake about it. God loves you as much as he loves me. 
Even though he did give me a natural tan, it doesn't mean he loves you any less. Let's pray. Most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we come today because you set the example through Christ what it looks like for us to reconcile ourselves not only to you but to one another. The gospel of Christ is the only hope for real, authentic unity. And so, Lord, would you forgive us as a black people for the sins that we have committed, for the hatred that we have harbored for our other white brothers. And Lord, would you forgive white people for the awful atrocities that their ancestors committed toward black brothers and sisters. Lord, would you heal our hearts today? Would you make us one in Christ the way that you desire? Would you continue to work in our hearts to have those convictions and those hard conversations so that we can come to terms with what it means, what it really means to be one in the body of Christ? No longer will we separate ourselves based on our color or our kind, but Lord, we will come to one another. We will humble ourselves. We will sit. We will communicate and we will cry with one another until we feel the pain that each of us feel. Lord, we understand that if one of us can't breathe, none of us can breathe. And so, Lord, let us no longer separate ourselves, but let us be one, unified in the spirit and in the love of Christ. Would you do it today in our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen.